Welcome back to Solving Healthcare, aka the Quadcast. Thanks everybody for the reviews and comments. Once again, it's been amazing hearing from everybody. Today's episode is brought to you by the Resource Optimization Network. Who are they? They are a group of clinicians, researchers, and administrators doing their best to make our healthcare system more sustainable. So if you are an organization looking to determine ways where you could maintain quality of care and save healthcare dollars, this is the organization for you. So find them at resourceoptimizationnetwork.com and get connected. Welcome to Solving Healthcare. I'm Quadro Karamantang. I'm an ICU and palliative care physician here in Ottawa and the founder of Resource Optimization Network. We are on a mission to transform healthcare in Canada. I'm going to talk with physicians, nurses, administrators, patients, and their families because inefficiencies, overwork, and overcrowding affects us all. I believe it's time for a better healthcare system that's more cost-effective, dignified, and just for everyone involved. Okay, everybody, we are on episode three already. And let me tell you, I am excited about this one. You know, we talk a lot about burnout. We talk about wellness amongst clinicians. And, you know, we're seeing more and more mood disorders, more anxiety, more depression amongst our population in general. And so in this conversation with Tamina Epen, who is a wonderful friend of mine who currently is working in the Toronto area. She does a lot of work in acute care psychiatry, which is the equivalent of, you know, ICU for psychiatry. And she's one of the few women does this practice. She got the physician of the year award at CAMH in 2018. You may have seen her on TVO program, the agenda in which she talks about her approach to care. So in our program today, we'll discuss how free psychotherapy could be extremely beneficial to the general population. We also talk about how being present or having authentic human interactions can truly improve the well-being of the population. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Straight up, I, I want to apologize for the audio Tamina was being interviewed at work and obviously trying to get two clinicians to schedule a time together can be difficult. So I apologize for some of the background noise near the middle of the episode. But regardless, the content's great. And I, I hope you enjoy this. Dr. Tamina Epen, welcome to the podcast. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, anytime. How long have we known each other, you think? You're asking because you don't know. It's like when a husband <laughs> asks his wife, so like our anniversary is this year, right? And they're like, oh my God. You, you, you don't what? even know when our anniversary is. Oh my goodness. Honestly, though, in my house, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the guy that knows the dates. I know how old. Really? Like her cousin's birthdays. I'll be like, yo, by the way, it's Lisa's birthday in two days. Are you aware of that? And she'd be like, oh, snap. What are you, oh, who, are you rain, who are you, Rain Man? Oh, I'll make it rain all the time. I bet you Yeah, no, we've known each other for a long. What's your a long time, rather? What's your guess? Oh, since 2006. Yeah, actually 2005. Okay. Well, I was, I was pretty close. Yeah. Anyway, thanks for joining us. As a psychiatrist, 
that is seen a lot and has worked at multiple sites. Hospital sites, yeah. Yeah. Where do you see where do you see some issues in the healthcare system from your perspective? From the healthcare perspective, I mean, I think every physician you speak to is going to or any person involved in healthcare is going to remind all of us that we don't have enough resources. So that's a bit too easy. Specifically in, in mental health, my concern is that we don't have enough access to what I see as preventative measures. So access to psychotherapy that is really good and legit. Currently, the best psychotherapist costs a lot of money and none of my patients can afford that. So I feel as though before things become an emergency, it would be great if a family physician or community doctor in rural areas had access to psychotherapists who are trained to deal with more than the crises of life, such as a breakup or Mm. failing a test versus some some pretty serious things like dealing with grief, dealing with uh, job disappointments or if there are even real symptoms, and by real, I don't mean that the rest are invalid, but I mean more biologically mitigated than things that can be dealt with earlier rather than having to reach a crisis level. Yeah. So how early is early? Like you're touching on that for sure here, but like, yeah, you know, just from a practical sense. There's no magical timing, but I I think things can start at day one. So I wish for parents uh, and grandparents to to learn how to deal with emotional issues and behaviors so they have the skill sets to teach children how to deal with stress, how to have a vocabulary for their feelings, uh, to develop coping skills. And at an early age, then we can't just rely on teachers to provide this education and modeling for children. And what we know about the brain and everyone knows about the brain is that early learning is really what's going to set us straight and and help us develop skills for the rest of our life. Yeah, I like what you're saying in terms of, you you know, (laughs) the parents having some accountability because I mean, what you're proposing as of date, like if we tried to do this now, you know, we're increasing exposure to psychotherapists and expert psychotherapists. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of time. That's a lot of resources. We're pretty far away from that. Right. Yeah. And so but like educating and empowering family. Yeah. Like parents, I think that seems from my perspective, more attainable. I do, too. Like I see it akin I, I want to get back to your earlier point, though. I, you know, there are countries in in Europe that have well-established psychotherapy programs. So this is not so far off for the first world. It's just that it is so foreign to us that it's not currently a part of our resource allocation paradigm. I don't pretend to know how to be, begin to implement this, but it's not so crazy. It just means that we haven't put in enough research or valued it, quite frankly, to do this. So that's I mean, the first thing I want to say. Yeah. I mean, yeah? to be honest with you, actually, as I sit here and think about this, yeah, yeah, we don't, ha- we don't fund psychotherapy and so on. But like, if you think about pot- the potential savings yes. downstream, I, yeah. I, I mean, personally, I would be convinced that you would save the system money for sure. 
Candide. Remember when you trained in Emerge? Not really. Not really. Well, did you train? <laughs> did I train? Are you a licensed physician? I mean, listen, I, listen. I did a one block in Emerge, but yeah. Yeah, one block in Emerge. Yeah. yeah. yeah I mean, here's what I'm going to tell you is that increasingly, not just the medical system is being taxed by mental health crises, not issues, crises, but the legal system. So the judicial system, the police system, social services. And it's not to say that this is like a bad thing. It's what it is. But I do feel like we're not addressing prevention in mental health the way we do in primary care medicine, for instance. So like I think about preventative measures and helping, let's say, new moms who are learning how to lactate. From what little I understand about the baby mama world, we will send a, a ministry of health nurse, I think, to yeah. people's homes. I don't even want to know how much that costs, but I guarantee you it costs less than half an hour with a trained social worker. Sorry, yeah. it caught co- that costs more. Like the therapy part of this, like imagine I could send a skilled therapist to help you guys at home. That would be yeah. amazing. The cost to healthcare, we're calling 911. Then there's an eMERGE doc visit. Then you consult psych. Then I have to issue a form. Like this goes on and on and on. I mean, you're selling it, yo. Like, uh, it's it's so true. Like Somebody better buy it. <laughs> we, we just don't value mental health. Like, my father's an oncologist. Suddenly, now we have a psychosocial oncology program. Awesome. To help people who already have a lot of help. I'm not anti that. I'm all for it. But, like, why don't we have this psychosocial equivalent for other disciplines? Oh, it's I'm, because oncology gets all the money oh, compared to mental health. Yeah, cancer is sexy, you know, I in mean, terms of funding. It's pretty... It's pretty sexy, I guess. Yeah, from a funding perspective. Now, I get um, it, but I, I worry that we're not seeing we're not seeing a bigger picture, which is like, as it is in the real world, like the one percenters have a lot, and mm. it's it's that's still applicable to the less sexy fields, and the fact that it even has to be sexy is so annoying. Mm. It's it's so frustrating to me because, I mean, you're a doctor, your friends and family. And strangers who are not in medicine must ask you all kinds of inane questions all the time. And as soon as someone knows I'm a psychiatrist, like they're asking, they're not asking complicated questions. They're asking very fundamental, simple questions as far as I'm concerned. Someone who never went to med school can answer all those questions. But because we don't have an educational foundation, I mean, we're starting. I mean, the fact that we're even talking about this as an indication that you value mental health and mental health is relevant to all of us in all kinds of ways. But this, the kinds of questions I get are not like, hey, can you look at this lesion and tell me if I need to get a biopsy? It's like, my kid hit me. What do I do? Hmm. Yeah, it's... Wow, we really have a deficit in basic skills. <laughs> I, I, I mean, mean you do, I don't. <laughs> I'm a bit speechless because like what you're saying makes so much sense. And it's annoying and, to hear, I bet. Well, actually, I don't know. I don't like. OK, cool. I'm I don't glad. find, I'm I don't find it annoying because I, I mean, I live with a psychiatrist, a psychologist. Yes. And and so a lot of the things that you're saying has been at least the same themes have come up. Yeah. But Not I'm everyone wonder- gets to marry a psychologist or a psychiatrist. Yeah, exactly. I mean, probably for the best, let's be honest. <laughs> um, I mean, because, like, to be honest with you, I was like her thesis. You know what I mean? Like, 
I need to be with this dude, okay? <laughs> to be uh, honest, you still are post, 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 postdoc. Yeah, post, post, postdoc. <laughs> yeah. Do you think, getting back to the issue of parents being more involved in acquiring more of these skill sets, like, yeah. do you think they want to? Do you think, yes. like, if they're offered a way to better manage that they'll bite? Yes. And let's start with understanding. Because I feel like as soon as we educate people, as soon as they understand things, it, it's not really like, I don't have to tell you how to say something. If you are the, you're the expert on your kid, you're the expert on yourself. As soon as people start to understand things, like if I tell you, well, you, you're, you have hypertension. Okay. What's that doc? Oh, your blood pressure is too high. A lot of people can intuit what they might need to do. Well, maybe I shouldn't have all that salt. Mm. Maybe I should be trying to go for a walk every day. Like maybe I need to cut back on my alcohol. I think education is the key. And then skills acquisition will follow for some people more naturally. And then for others, yeah, we can be more directive. We need to have a language for our feelings. And mom and dad, we need to start with you. What, what word would you use to describe how you feel? Like we need to start talking and identifying how we feel so that then we can teach. Yeah. What did you, what did you say? <laughs> no, yeah. I'd say it in terms of words that would describe how, how I feel. <laughs> you I'm feel like incompetent? incompetent. <laughs> My kids make me feel incompetent. <laughs> no, I, I love you. I love all of them. So, Say, yes, we got to start from the grassroots when the kids are young and engaging the family members. But what about kids now, kids, teenagers that are that are going through tough times now? Tough times or illness. So I deal with illness. But the problem is a lot of people present to the medical system with what I would say are psychosocial issues, like the, the difficulties of life. So I can answer your question if you can be more specific, like we can deal with biological illness that we can do um, i'm talking you about mean what issues i'm talking about the maladaptive teenager uh-huh. that missed out on that parent that that was that uh provided them with adequate coping skills or the teacher that adequate that provided mm-hmm. them with adequate coping skills yeah you're 14 now yeah don't know how to manage like what's your out I don't think there's like an easy solution. I think uh, everyone's life is a bit of a journey and a process. Does the 14-year-old want help? Do they want things to be better? Like it's it's really depending on the degree of danger, a lack of safety. I think if you're the 14-year-old who's really autonomous and wants help, you know how to access that either through school or you can Google help online. There, there are a lot more resources like that, I've noticed. Mm. I think it's not specific to any one person, but I guess my point is we're not islands. So like if you're struggling and let's say you come from a family where uh, it's an old school traditional family and there's no way they're going to be able to validate what you're going through or you're not allowed to date or they caught you smoking weed and this is difficult. I guess I would want young people to also feel comfortable to know that, listen, I want to include my family in this, even though they're very angry with me and they don't understand me, so that we can help not just the individual, but because the individual doesn't live on an island, but an individual in their context, in their life. Like, it's not the responsibility of the healthcare system 
to help a person struggling emotionally or psychologically as an individual, especially when they're this young, to pretend like it's a broken leg. And in fact, I would say if a 14-year-old had a broken leg and lived at home with parents, I wouldn't even have to wonder if those parents are going to pick them up from their appointment, take them to physio, take them to their casting clinic appointment. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But for some reason in mental health, we have this idea that it's... First, confidentiality is important. But in general terms, I think we don't use collective resources enough. And I also worry that we don't see ourselves as collectively responsible for each other's well-being. And you and I have spoken about this before. Like, hey, how's your day going to whoever you're doing? It doesn't have to be totally inauthentic. But we seem to have this approach that we don't have the same social... It's not just a matter of skills. Like we don't have social curiosity, I would even say. Yeah, this was one of the my favorite things that you brought up when we talked prior is Yeah. In general, I find we are having less of a sense of community. We are yes. less engaging to yes. our fellow man or person. Yes. Like I was giving the example, you I walked in walked through the Washington Dulles Airport. <laughs> yep. And literally everyone and their mother had their head down at 45 degrees, staring at their phone. Hashtag no offense, Washington, right? Yo, no. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) But like, hashtag no offense, Dulles. Dulles. Mind you, you, that's a horrible name. Yo, what's what's your name? Where do you even begin with this? Like, maybe that's why. Oh, I'm super entertaining. No, my name is Dulles. (laughs) Um, So... Yeah, you're walking through the airport. No one's talking to each other. They're just mm-hmm. like throwing down on their phone. And mm-hmm. I mean, this is this seems to be our life right now. Like yeah. there just seems to be less caring or engaging anyway in terms of how my fellow man is doing, yeah. how my colleague is doing, yes. how are my med students, residents, whomever doing. Yeah. It's just, um, it's sad actually. I think this point though about being curious yeah that you you brought up like yeah when it's whether it's how your fellow man is doing whether it's how can i be a better parent like maybe just comment in terms of like how that can amplify how that can really truly be quite impactful I mean, this is this is not something I was ever taught. I certainly didn't learn this in med school or in residency, but it's something that I've been able to observe as a human being and also as someone who likes to participate in their environment rather actively. And it's now a part of what I refer to as behavioral activation in my patients who are not so biologically unwell and probably have more of a skills deficit. And it's related to the principles of cognitive and behavioral therapy. The idea being that if we change our behavior, our thinking can change and then our feelings can change. And like really what we're saying besides sounding like fucking Sesame street right now is that the brain is really adaptive and it's super elastic. And if we try something and if we train it in different ways, we can develop certain habits so that it isn't so forced. So for instance, If you speak to your mailman semi-regularly and it's kind of authentic, it's like, hey, how's it going? How's the route today? I don't know. I I don't have a mailman, so I'd have to make this up. Amazon dude. 
Right, Amazon dude. Tamazon dude. What I would say is their behavior is going to change towards you. Suddenly, you're getting your Tamazon deliveries expedited. Or it's not to take advantage of people, but suddenly you've fostered a relationship and a kinship that doesn't have to be more than that. I mean, this is a terrible example, but there's so many ways where we can just engage other people. Sometimes it's just making eye contact. It's a smile. No one looks at each other anymore. And part of it is maybe hashtag me too and hashtag oh no. But I think the other part of it is because it's a habit to look at our phone and to avoid people, especially in urban centers. Is hashtag oh no a thing? No, I just made it up, but it okay. should be, right? <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, I missed out on that one. What's happening? I, that's probably because you're frequently the perpetrator of hashtag oh, no. Oh, oh exactly. As <laughs> long as that's not sexual. It's not. I'm, okay. I, I, I've just established it. And uh, exclusion criterion is sexual. Activity. Yeah, it's, if, okay. it's, if it's the ability it's mostly, to dropkick, yeah. yes. That's it's cool. to dropkick and to drop very uh, polarizing statements. How about Boom. that? Boom goes that dynamite. It goes that dynamite. So back to relating it to the brain is that the brain changes and all the white matter tracks and and the emotional centers and all those like lovely chemicals that sometimes make us feel anxious. All of this starts to change as we start to feel as we start to develop skills. And so we feel comfortable and safer. And then in times of problems, we're like, wait a second, I just need to maybe talk to this person or I know who not to talk to. Just it's, It just changes our social brain, and that has an impact on all kinds of biological functions. And it's, some, it's an experiment I say with my patients. I'm like, I know you don't want to talk to your parents right now, but your homework is to have at least three conversations a day with them, and I want you to write them down, and we're going to talk about them later. And by the end of their admission with me, they're like, you know what? I don't hate them so much. And it, it just happened naturally to the point where I stopped documenting it because it was just a natural, seamless part of my day. Now, not all of this is so like Mary Poppins-esque and not so magical for sure, but it's just an, an example of how we can engage really ourselves and anyone else that's not a screen. Do you know what I like about that? Just one thing? Up? Just one thing. Eh, I'm going to start with one. Right. It's how simple of an, of a, an idea it is. So simple. And how dramatic of an impact it can have it, 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 like you'd be shocked you'd be shocked it sounds so simplistic like if anyone were listening to this they'd be like why did she go to school to say nothing <laughs> and i would say that's an interesting question but you don't know me or what i do uh yeah. but if you don't so know if I me. me you don't know me you don't know how symmetrical my face is <laughs> it's damn symmetrical yo y'all aren't seeing it right now but it's Super symmetrical. I mean, I'm not seeing it right now, but I've seen no. it in the past. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I was going to say something, but that's hashtag oh no, so I'm going to avoid it. Okay. But yeah, this um, is simple. Yeah, and I was telling you about this too. I even might have sent you the podcast. Naval, I'm forgetting yes. his last, last name right now. Yeah, you should probably um, know that. I know I should. I'm embarrassed, but mm. not really. Um, mm-hmm. Talk about how you can make happiness. Right, whatever that uh, means, but yes. Whatever it means, yeah, but like make it a, I don't want to say a habit or a, um, just if you exercise a more positive outlook in life, it becomes easier and sure. it becomes a mainstay in your life. Yeah. And, and similar to what you're talking about, you, you're creating those neural synapses. I'm going to talk out of my arse. Yes, you do create 
new synapses and the brain really can accelerate in certain areas. Yeah. And so I just, when I heard that to me, it just, it just rained. It just meant a lot because it's something that, you know, maybe we should be preaching more and it's something that's not going to cost money to do. Like if I shouldn't say that it's depending on how you bring out that message, but it's, not an expensive intervention. We'll put it that way. No, and like most of my friends who use helps self-help books, like that's what all that stuff is. Mindfulness, mentalization, the power of positivity. Now we're also talking about a percentage of the population that is rather functional, right? Right. Right. Like really easy to be like, just have a positive outlook. Like I'm not a positive person, but I engage in the world and I'm curious and I'm interested. And as a result, I'm not miserable. The power of curiosity, yo. It's something. It's it's a real something. It doesn't mean being nosy, although I have been accused of that before, too. The other thing, too, I think that needs to be said, and I don't know what this might seem like a non sequitur, Mm -hmm. is people don't realize the impact Mm -hmm. mental illness has on their physical well-being and their physical health. So, like, even in ICU or in as a palliative care doc, when somebody is struggling with depression or anxiety, they do worse. Yeah. And like, I, I won't be able to necessarily cite a study or, or what have you, but clinic, like anecdotally, when yeah, I'm good at luck the studying bedside, this population. Yeah. it's just like, you know, they're less likely to get out of bed to, to, to work on their physiotherapy and strength. They're less likely to, to get better. And I think there's some yeah. huge downstream implications there. there and are. so um, I just, I think that needs to be said too. I know that, doesn't really seem like a sequitur there, but. No, I think all of this is, I mean, I hope I'm not quoting some dumb hospitals tagline, but like health is health. And so everything we do is fundamentally biology and biochemistry. Like even the way I make you feel right now when we're talking or the way I make myself feel is, is resulting in a bunch of chemical cascades in my brain, right? And so when I'm feeling better than when I'm not feeling better, I'm more likely to pursue healthier behaviors and interactions. So I'm not going to like necessarily want to have a glass of wine after work. Like maybe I'm going to go straight to the gym and then have a salad for dinner. Whereas when we are stressed and cortisol is elevated and noradrenaline systems are on fire, we're much more likely to choose and to pursue behaviors and interactions, which are biologically unhealthy. Mm -hmm. And it goes without saying. So if our serotonin is depleted in certain areas, this is highly oversimplified, but it does follow that people might crave carbohydrates more. And what does that mean? Like junk food. It means like you are probably likely to be more sedentary and not want to regulate your chemistry naturally through exercise or human emotional contact that's adaptive, like all kinds of things. Like it's one system. It's just that we don't know the brain the way we know the heart or the kidneys. What do we got to do to break down this, the mental health stigma? (laughs) I don't, I mean, I don't pretend to have the answer to this, but I think we start by making feelings and problems like just normal things need to be discussed the way normal things are. Like we talk about the weather and hurricanes and traffic and terrorism as though all of this is super normal. Guess what? Terrorism is not normal. 
But we talk about it like it's like, oh, yeah, did you hear about that bombing? Wait a second. We're able to talk about bombings as if it's as comparable to the weather forecast? No, that's ridiculous. So, like, why are we not talking about, like, hey, I had a difficult conversation with my boyfriend yesterday and it left me feeling insecure. Um, So, yeah, I'm just going to put that out there. Shouldn't impact my work today or anything. And obviously this is not for everyone to know. And it's not that your business has to be anyone else's business, but I think stigma is related to a sense of shame, like your feelings and what you're experiencing. Like I'm not even talking about the type of mental illness I actually treat, which is highly biological. I'm talking about things that are more psychological, things that a psychologist would address more readily than a hospital psychiatrist like me. But there is a lot of shame and shame is what causes stigma. Shame and ignorance. So if we're not educated and if we're not informed, and the flip side of this is I think we've gone a bit extreme on the other side, which is like, just because you have a feeling doesn't mean it's pathological. Like sadness does not equal depression. When I say you have depression, that's a biological disorder. It's not like I'm disappointed. Let me post that on Instagram or another fucking social media nonsense. Insta. This reminded me actually of the conversation we had before about mm. antidepressant use because oh. you, you know you just kind of touched upon that you know sadness doesn't equal depression, right? So I wonder if you could comment a bit on sure on what you see in terms of antidepressant use and and where it's going. Okay, so I think we need to understand that we all have a mood. And sometimes it's steady and even, and sometimes it's a bit higher than normal, and sometimes it's lower than normal. And I would say all of that encapsulates normal, normal human experience. Major depressive disorder is a biological illness, and it is on a spectrum of severity. If you are severely depressed, you likely need a biological intervention. And when I say severely depressed, I mean, you need to meet a certain time criterion. There needs to be no other known etiology or cause for this change of mood and also consequent dysfunction in your life. Um, And it, it has to be more than an obvious cause. Like not everyone who's profoundly upset. Like if there was war in your country and you lost your home and your family, you are miserable and maybe life is not worth living. Again, that does not mean you have major depressive disorder. So the use of an antidepressant is going to do nothing. You'll probably get side effects. Like why would adding serotonin or noradrenaline or dopamine change the fact that your home has been blown up by a bomb and your parents and sister and brother are dead? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, no, I, there's both ends of the spectrum here. Like one, oh my God, I got to see on my test where my boyfriend liked this other girl's picture on Instagram versus like legit catastrophic events in real life. I'm going to be outrageous and say neither are depression. Are you upset? Have you been devastated because you're a human being? Yes. Why would a biological intervention change that? So what's happening though? Like why... Are so many antidepressants being prescribed? What, are, I, I don't are know. You, I, are you solo? Things. Like, are you solo in this thinking? Like, is this common, uh, like a common approach? It's rare. It's rare. I'm not solo, but I'm close to solo. To be very honest, I mean, you know what it's like to be a doctor. 
we want a blood test. I want an x-ray. Uh, I want a consultant's opinion on something. And here's the antibiotic. Like, your urine's positive for E. coli. Here we go. You're sensitive to amoxyl. Boom, done. The reduction of mental health disease is such that we treat it very much in this way. Mm. And it's a pain in the ass to really get to know a patient who's complaining or upset. I think that's a, you're hitting the nail on the coffin right there. Uh, it's I don't legit. know if that's an expression, but like a coffin on the nail. Interesting. Yeah. Or it's not, you, it's, it's, it's time. It's time. That, in the shed right now. Um, but let's be honest. Your patient population is mostly intubated. Right. But right? I'm, I'm, I'm not speaking for me. Well, I'm speaking no, for me. In some what sense, I'm saying like, is there's some appeal to people who are not going to just complain all day. Yeah. It's a, we deal with a very difficult patient population. Like if a patient disagrees with a doctor or another specialty, they're like horrified. They're like, what do you mean you're not going to listen to what I'm saying? I'm a god. I'm right. You know, whereas like all day, every day, no one agrees with what I'm saying. My patients don't even believe I'm a doctor, et cetera, et cetera. Like it's madness. But to be a scientist means we have to be objective. It has to be more complicated than just giving a medication. If, if it's as simple as giving an antidepressant, you don't need to see an expert like me. Boom. End of story. There's so much here. So once again, you, you feel like you're in a minority of. I do. Of, did amongst you, did your you see my weird episode on the agenda? Yeah, TVO, I was going to quote that bad boy. Okay, I'm just saying, I mentioned this. And did you see how the other, the senior psychiatrist reacted to what I said about, I think that they're being overprescribed. Like, I don't think we can talk about depression being treatment resistant when we haven't properly diagnosed the situation. If everyone who is sad is now being labeled depressed, then yeah, antidepressants are going to fail because guess what? You might as well be giving, it's like saying, oh, uh, the person has a broken leg. Let's give them an antidepressant, but that's the wrong treatment. They don't, they're not depressed. They have a broken leg. And so the TVO guy, the senior was psychiatrist like, was like, no, 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 no. I mean, you know, antidepressants are very useful and blah, blah, blah. I was like, you're not listening to me. I'm not, I'm not blaming doctors for prescribing. I'm just saying, I don't think we're doing a good enough job of figuring out what the actual diagnosis is. And I fully admit that I'm not always right because we don't have a biological tool to make a diagnosis. I don't have a biopsy in psychiatry. You know what yeah, I mean? You're not, you're not getting a brain biopsy. Or... No. No, I mean, I wish I could, but I'm not allowed. Not yet. But right. After this show, boom. Biopsies on Bob, daily. Bob's your uncle. So then, you know, when we say that a third of patients benefit from antidepressants, do you think yeah. it's a third that actually need it or a third of amongst the whole gamut of not... people that receive it? I, it's it's against the whole gamut of people who receive it. Hmm. This is my point. No one is. How are you? How are we validating the diagnosis? I mean, this um, is because of a checkbox diagnostic system developed by a bunch of Caucasians in America. I mean, there's something to it, but in what other field is it purely based on a checklist? This yeah. is paradigm shifting what you're throwing down there, Dr. Epen. Um, is it really? I think so. Because think about this. So many people, like w even in the ICU, when we get a patient list, 
I don't know. I once again don't cite me, but I bet you close to fifty percent of patients have some form of antidepressant or anxiety medication on board. Okay. Yeah. You're yeah. telling me that a significant part, a significant number of people don't need it. I don't think. I don't and think we, they all need it. Right. And I and, and significant, unless it's gone too far. Right. You know. And of course, like if there's clear indications and whatnot, but yeah. you know, um, just from what you're describing. It's not crazy for us to see side effects as a result of, or complications as a result of patients being on these medications. You got it. In fact, the irony irony is <laughs> one of the most common side effects of SSRIs, serotonergic agents, and SNRIs, ones that are, implicate serotonin and or adrenaline. <laughs> Whenever I'm like, and guess what one of the fun side effects is? They're like, what? Stop. Anxiety. They're like, wait, I thought you were trying to help me. I'm like, isn't that interesting? Explosion. Yeah. I mean, it's just for the first two weeks, but I don't have to worry about that. You know what I mean? Like, there's just, there are lots of side effects. And also, I worry that there's a lot of placebo in this too. Now, again, there is very real depression, very real anxiety, and more important than the reality of this, because I don't want to discriminate against people who are like, well, how do you know what's real for me and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, maybe you don't have coping skills. And maybe it doesn't matter. You can be the best, the most well-adjusted human in the world without a biological intervention. You will not be able to function and you're at risk of maybe even death because these illnesses are very serious. And I think for me, that's what's bothering me is that I see people who are so very ill and have tremendous, let's say, supports or uh, internal resilience that most of the general population don't have. And it took, like, it took a catastrophic event for their biological dysfunction to present itself. Then you need to see someone like me. And then mm-hmm. you need something like an antidepressant augmented with something else, whatever, maybe even ECT. So, like, I don't want what I'm saying to come across as though like no one is depressed and no one needs meds. There are a lot of people who need meds, but often we don't get those to see those people. It's people who are often help seeking, who don't have coping skills, who are not resilient. They're the ones who present to emerge often. The ones who are alone. I'm not blaming anyone for not having those skills because you don't just get to be like, snap your fingers and like, I'm skilled. Like, it's not a blame game. But what I'm saying is I often don't get to see the sickest people in the population because they don't have anyone to advocate for them. That's incredible. I also wonder if this limits your ability to see some of these patients. Like, are you being inundated with so many patients that don't need to see you that you don't see the ones that you really need to see. Often, yeah. I mean, I see a lot of very sick people, but I mean, I'm uh, an avid and proud proponent of free, not free, of taxpayers-sponsored healthcare. I'm glad that anyone gets access to the best possible care that we can provide within certain limits. I do worry, though, that because we don't have a gestalt or an overall approach to dealing with problems and real issues that we sometimes create this idea that the hospital is, is for any problem. Like I don't have a house. Like how is that a hospital's problem? Or I broke up with my girlfriend. How is that a hospital's problem? Wow. There's so much to unpack here. And I like, you have me I'm almost speechless with a lot of these issues because... I want to also combat this or compare this to I have patients with profound and serious mental illness who are homeless because of their illness. Right. If as a result of their schizophrenia 
They have been isolated from society. They're, they're so unwell, they can't even organize themselves, or they're so scared to be around others that they won't even go to a shelter. Mm. These are the people that we as a society have decided we can help them. If Even for them, I can, we can't find them housing. But that's what those hospital resources are for. Yeah, not because the... of a mental, because of an illness, mm. not because of distress. You know what I'm liking about this conversation is, Again, yeah, yeah. Number one, there's, I feel like there's actionable items that can actually make a large impact. So as we talked about before, yeah. having that element of curiosity, having yes. that, that empathy, having that having more authentic human interactions. Yes. And, this, and empathy is important. We didn't talk about it, but that is super huge. Yeah. I, I guess we, in my mind, I, I link curiosity to empathy, but okay. I don't, yeah. I mean, do you feel like you, do you want to comment on empathy or? Well, I mean, I think it's relevant in that it's not the exactly same thing as, as curiosity. Curiosity is wondering and empathy is really trying to understand someone else's perspective of what they're going through without relating to it. So that's what makes it very different from sympathy. You're not sharing an experience. You are independent of it so that you are there for someone else or it is not about you. Mm -hmm. It's not selfish. It's in fact the opposite. It's supposed to try to understand something else as it does not relate to you. The situation might relate to you in that moment to be empathic has nothing to do with you except that you're the one doing it. Yeah, and for me to amp up that skill Mm-hmm. You have that element of curiosity to really dive into dive into yeah. what's going on in, with that person or patient, so or loved one, or loved one, mm-hmm. exactly. So, very actionable item in terms of, you know, uh, curiosity, empathy, yeah, um, really questioning some of these diagnoses people have, or take, or almost like taking more time to be certain on what we're dealing with. That's and, right. I kind of alluded to this before, but really a huge barrier in my mind is time. And it is because as a, as a family, a family physician to be able to really approach things as you're describing yeah. takes time. It, and I mean, what and we they keep don't hearing is that they don't have time. No, nope. it takes time to get to know someone and maybe it has to be a repeated visit. And so part of the educational piece is also for patients to appreciate, like if it's an emergency situation, then we need to do something immediately as we get to know someone. So maybe we need to change the billing fee system for primary care physicians. And we need to encourage that kind of like exploratory interview, not just for GPs and psychiatrists, but maybe other specialists or nurse practitioners or, or someone else. Like we have to figure out a way to get to know our people. Because if, we, if the solution is just throwing medications, now we mentioned medications that are not even addictive. We didn't even right. get into anti-anxiety medications that are highly addictive and, and for me are the next opioid crisis. And those are benzos. And that's a huge problem now and it's the best way to shut people up. And in fact, I, I would say I see so many people coming to the emergency room, some with real problems and some with not real problems, but a lot of them wanting benzos. Wow. You know this. Yeah, I mean... We see the back end where they overdose on that. Mm-hmm. Or they're in withdrawal and seizing and some die. Absolutely. Like it's... the problems of these medications cannot, I cannot overemphasize the drama and the importance of us being real. And I think of it like 
that kid, I wish they hadn't been hurt in their life. I wish they had gotten some help, maybe some support through whatever system. I don't care what system. Develop some skills, meet some people, have some relationships that are affiliative and supportive and nurturing. You know, get a job, have some agency, some autonomy, some purpose in life. Mm. As opposed to like, oh, you got you got some you got some zannies, great, and now you're addicted, and now your brain will no longer learn how to deal with anything. And in fact, without it, you could die. No, I like I cannot tolerate that. And one thing to be clear on too, Tamina, is like you are seeing this. I am. I am seeing this. It's not. Uh, it's not because we're unique. This is a, a rampant problem. Like this is happening exactly. everywhere. And not just in, the, in our hospitals. Like you and I work in tertiary care centers. It happens like GPs are getting inundated. I will often call a family physician's office just be like, hi, can we agree to not prescribe these medications for this patient, please? And they're like, thank you so much. I said, I'm putting them on a taper. We're going to contact all the pharmacies. Like it's, it's a... It's a problem that is far reaching. And I think we need to support each other in how we prevent the prescription of these things if they're not required. It's for very, there's a small proportion of the population and there are very few reasons and circumstances to, pre- to prescribe benzodiazepines on a regular basis. And again, no one should be on it long-term. And by that, I mean, no one should be on it for more than six months. Wow. And- ever, <laughs> ever. You hear that? You hear that crew? Medical, non-medical. Get off them benzos. And that uh, has to be done safely so you don't die from withdrawal seizure. Absolutely. Oh man. There's so much here, Tamina. I let's talk another time, huh? Yeah, I think I think we're gonna have to do a follow-up to this one because this okay. is too juicy. And <laughs> I and I, I'm a, I'm a bit upset at myself that I didn't dive into a few other things. I'm sorry. Uh, in more detail. But wait, why did you this say I'm sorry? Been, I'm not sorry, it's your fault. Exactly. Women I'm still learning this story. hosting thing. We're Canadian. Yeah. This, is, this is the way we roll. I didn't hear um, you say sorry. You're maladjusted. Um, we, <laughs> sorry, that's, am I allowed to say that? I did. Um, <laughs> hashtag, oh no. Hashtag, oh no. <laughs> um, Call me back one may, day. I, I absolutely will. Maybe, mm. maybe in your mind, summarizing, just so I don't mess up, mess up uh, your flow. Your general message on how we make mm. things better. <laughs> That's so huge. Uh, here's yeah, what's so. something that I haven't said yet, but is related to all of this, which is like, I would much rather people ask me questions or ask their doctors or ask their healthcare providers or their friends and family. Like, we don't do enough asking of questions and not even like, how are you doing? I mean, like, hi, can you help me understand or what does it mean? if I feel this way, or does it even mean something as opposed to like walking into see me and telling me like, I'm the one who's going to do the figuring out. I just need to understand your experience so that we don't automatically misdiagnose or mislabel. I just think if people approach their family doctor or nurse practitioner and said, hi, I'm struggling in this, this, and this way. What do you think might be going on? Like, should I get some blood work done? Blah, blah, blah. Like, in the same way that people can talk about being vegan as if they're experts in nutrition, I think we can also talk about mood symptoms or stress regulation and, like, all kinds of normal things. Like, I think we need to normalize a lot of things. Don't walk in as a Google expert 
say like, hey, I know I read about this. I'm not sure if, if this is what's going on. Because what I hear from my colleagues is like, wow, everyone thinks they know everything. They're just walking like, I need this medication because I have X diagnosis. Oh, man, that's only getting worse, too. Right? So just, was like, on our first just chill for a second and be like, hi, I'm struggling with this, this and this. You know, like, I don't know what's going on. Can you help me? It's funny. Uh, we do that when we I bring the kids in to see the, the doc or mm. because, like, I know how yeah. jaded or not jaded is the wrong word, but uh, how biased I could be or how yes. my head could be in the clouds, especially when dealing with your own family. Yes. So, yeah, always but try and just, but at least you're a doctor. I'm just saying <laughs> we need to be unbiased. But like, I'm just saying we need and maybe this helps break down stigma. Like, hi, give me a chance to do my job for you, please. Right. Like, well, I really want to do it well. I really do. Whether I like you or not, I'm going to do my job as well as I can. But mind you, I feel like a skilled psychiatrist or a skilled psychotherapist, that's what they do. Like, you got to tease out, like, yeah, ignore the noise. Yeah. Like, just like we do clinically. Yes. Yeah, they think they got we do. botulism. We do. But I guess what I'm saying is you can see how it could be an obstacle yeah. to someone. Like, like skills come from experience, but they also come from, like, perseverance. Like, okay, I'm going to get pushed past the bullshit. Yes, I know they just called me a name. I'm still going to be present for this patient. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, like, it's not always easy. That's the next episode you're going to be on when we talk about... Cool. The impact of being a person of color in medicine. Tamina, thank you so much for being on the the podcast. This meant a lot. You threw down some serious game. And I don't know. (laughs) I feel like uh, my perspective's changed on a lot of this. Are you lying? No, it's true. No, because I I think my, my my big stick is that what can we actually do? Like, there's one thing to be like, talk about the theories on why things are happening, but yeah. you've given some pretty concrete, simple action mm-hmm. items to try and get a better grip on mental illness and and health, health. and health. Yeah, we just, like mental illness is a whole other thing. That's why I went to school for a hundred years. But like, health is different. Like, we enough. can. There's a lot of things we can do to prevent things. Exactly. Or to, or to mitigate disaster at the very least. But thank you. Thanks for hearing everything. And, yeah, talk to your kids. Talk, talk to your talk, kids. Talk to your kids. Talk to your neighbor. Talk to yourself. Write shit down. I love it. Thanks so much, Tamina. My pleasure. Talk to you soon. Thanks, everybody, again for listening to Solving Healthcare, aka the Quadcast. In terms of take home notes or take home messages from this show, I think from an administrative level, there is likely value of having free psychotherapy available to all. We put so much value to physical health. Having that value in mental health would go a huge way. In terms of clinicians, take-home messages is to take time with your patients. Get to know them. Get curious. Hear their story and maybe we'll be prescribing less antidepressants and antipsychotics and so forth. And lastly, for the general, the rest of you guys... Put your phones down. Look who's in front of you. Have some of those authentic conversations, those meaningful conversations. And I think this could be the key to more contentness and happiness. Thanks again for listening. If you want, follow us at Quadcast on Twitter. And if you have any 
questions, comments, show ideas, or people that you would want to have as guests, get through to us at quadcast99 at gmail.com. All right. Thanks again for listening.